think Tevez going to Juventus, what, what a coup that was for me. I mean, On a head-to-head -head battle, Atletico Madrid can do uh, more damage to Barcelona than the other way around. Either he's really blind or he's fixing the match. I, I can't see it any other way. I'm, I'm trying to get Sir Bob on my side here by saying City will win the Premier League. It, it is an upset. You would expect Man United to go and win there. Over a billion dollars was paid in transfer fees uh, between the clubs in, in Europe. It's football. It's damn football. Like Ferguson said, football. Bloody marvelous. Yeah, well, the celebration was, I can't believe I just scored against Mexico. Uh, at one point, Parma, I think it's only like 224 players under contract. Hey, they're gonna throw me out of here, fellas. You're gonna get me arrested on your show. If you're a serious talent, you're going back and you're playing for Santos. You, you know, you're going back to, to play for, like, in Argentina for River Plate or Boca Juniors, or you're going to Europe. He looked like the Ryan Giggs of old. He was more creative than any player on the pitch. Um, he made Matter look stupid. He made Rooney look silly. Now, the Premier League is what the most exciting league out there. I think it's probably the best marketed league without a question. When you look at the draw for the, the Champions League, you kind of say, well, all the pieces kind of fell into place for everybody except City. I am your host, Joe Ucello. Sir Bob, Mike Orr, my co-host, Rob Rojas, my trusted co-host, Ben the Machine. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to episode 409 of Low Limit Football on this 9th of December, 2023, our final show of 2023. I'm your host, Joe Ucello, and tonight, the group stage draws have been completed for both Euro 2024 and the Copa America. We'll discuss both draws. The Colorado Rapids are in advanced talks to bring Zach Steffen back to MLS from Manchester City. Santos are relegated in Brazil for the first time in their one 111-year history. MLS Cup Final is tonight. Will LAFC be able to defend their title in Columbus? And Match Day 6 is upon us in the UEFA Champions League. We'll discuss the big matchups and more with our special guest, Emily Wilson from One Football, who will be joining us in just a little bit. But first, let me get my co-host in here, Mr. Roberto Rojas. What's going on, my man? Very well, Joe. Very well. Here we are, final show of the year, and obviously there's still a lot to talk about. It's hard to believe, like I said this time uh, last year, we had the uh, the World Cup. Here we are also on the day that, unfortunately, we lost Grant Wall uh, one year ago today. So, obviously, send our remorse, send our condolences to the family and to many of the friends in our community as well that were mm -hmm. friends of Grant. Uh, obviously, it was a, it's still a big miss that still stings to this day. We have MLS Cup Final, of course, as well. We'll decide a, a champion, whether it be a defending champion or a new champion over there in Columbus, uh, between Columbus Crew and LAFC. And, yeah, I mean, obviously... It's going to be a, a weird one, obviously, because, you know, we still have some more games happening all across Europe. And, you know, obviously that's kind of the main focus of the remainder of the year, Joe, really, is just to see what's been going on in Europe. We still have some interesting races so far, some races that at the time of recording could be different uh, by the time the weekend is over. But, yeah, man, it's been it's been really exciting to see. And I'm really happy to see what's going to be happening. Uh, for the remainder of the of the year as we head into hopefully what will be a a very interesting 2024 with Copa America, Euros, and, and many other competitions to play uh, come next year. True, true. Um, and, and just to give uh, listeners an idea, we're, uh, we're obviously going to be off for our winter break. Uh, you and I are both leaving the country, uh, going to separate places, but <laughs> leaving the country. And uh, we will return the weekend of January 6th and 7th uh, to, to bring you, uh, you know, all the great action. Uh, from around the world and catch up on everything um, as uh, as we move through the 23-24 season. So, my friend, you are in charge of the trivia question this week. So, uh, if uh, I'll get my pen and paper here and write down the question, you can lay it on me, my friend. Yes, absolutely. So, of course, I'm going to go and dedicate it to the Copa America draw that we saw the other day. And, and really, what we see in this in this tournament, which is the oldest tournament in the world in terms of international soccer, it's over 100 years old. Um, and obviously we've seen a lot of teams win this competition. But my question to you is, mm -hmm. how many different champions and finalists combined have we seen in the history of the Copa America? So this is a tournament that's lasted 100 years. Um, we've had teams from all over South America, some even in North America, some even in Asia as well. But how many different teams won the Copa America and were finalists as well? 
Okay. All right. I wrote that down. I'm going to start mulling through my brain as to who has won that title um, and who's played for that title and uh, give me an answer at the end of the show. So let's uh, let's jump into opening thoughts. And opening thoughts is going to be the uh, obviously the, the draws that we saw this week, the Euro 2024 draw. But first, we'll start with the Copa America draw, which I think uh, might actually still be going on. <laughs> the, the way it took so long um, on that night, but uh, so let's start with the Copa America draw quickly, uh, and we'll uh, I'll give you the groups. Uh, we have uh, obviously four groups with uh, with Concacaf teams being invited: Argentina, Peru, Chile, and uh, the winner of uh, Canada and Trinidad and Tobago will round out Group A. Group B is Mexico, Ecuador, Venezuela, and Jamaica. I think that's a pretty interesting group to me. Uh, group C, United States, Uruguay, Panama, and Bolivia. And Group D will be Brazil, Colombia, Paraguay, and the winner of Costa Rica and Honduras. Um, you and I made some predictions. I'm, I'm going to, I'm actually looking at my predictions because I did send them out to you. Um, and I did tweet them as well. Uh, so for me, the way I predict these uh, four groups to go down in order, uh, I've got Argentina winning Group A, uh, and I feel like Canada is going to get in as the uh, as the playoff winner against Trinidad and Tobago. I've got them finishing second, uh, and then we got Chile third and Peru fourth. In my opinion, Group B, I have got um, Ecuador winning the group. I've got Venezuela finishing second, and then I've got Mexico third and Jamaica fourth. I know that is going to be quite the upset. Um, but I'll, we'll discuss that in a moment. Uh, group C, Uruguay will finish first, the United States second, Panama third, Bolivia fourth. And then Group D, we're going to go Brazil. Uh, we're going to go Colombia. We're going to go Paraguay third and Honduras over Costa Rica and finishing fourth. Uh, my friend, why don't you give me your predictions first for the uh, for the four teams uh, or for the four, four groups and then we'll discuss. Yeah, yeah. We have some differences here as well. I think in Group A, I think, going to disagree and not give any hope to the CONCACAF teams, but say Argentina are going to win that group easily. And then I think it's going to be Chile, a Chile side that will go through a different manager. And I think with the quality that they have, they'll have enough to beat both Peru and either the winner of Canada, Trinidad and Tobago, which I think will be Canada at the end of the day. So I have that. Group B, I mean, look, I think this Mexico side is able to really bounce back from all this. And I surely have enough confidence in them to go and win this group. But the big one that might be the upset, hint, hint, would be Venezuela going in second place and Ecuador in third, Jamaica last. So that that's my kind of upset, you would say, of the groups. In Group C, I think it's still going to be a toss-up between Uruguay and the United States, but ultimately the way that Uruguay have been playing, the way that Bielsa's style of playing has been going so well for Uruguay, I'm going to pick them to finish first. But the United States would go second, which, again, is, is not the worst thing. But, of course, depending on who they play in Group D, which I think would be Brazil, Colombia, Paraguay, and the winner of Honduras, Costa Rica, Costa Rica, which I think will be Costa Rica, that's going to be a really tough group. Because I think for the United States' case in this one is to do well and go to a semifinals. And if they don't win that group, um, they will fail. And, and ultimately, look, Joe, I, I think I'm going to be really honest with you. I think... In terms of the group itself is not bad. Like, I think the United States have no issue qualifying. It's who they face afterwards. Because if the group goes well, of course, this is soccer, anything can happen. They could indeed face either a Brazil side who are going to be very, very talented, heavy. And, you know, we'll mm -hmm. see what happens with the coaching situation. Even irregardless of what we saw in the qualifiers, they're still very much talented and they can do something in this tournament. Or they're going to face a Colombia side that also just beat that same Brazil side and are riding high. So, it's not the case of a bad group for the United States. It's what happens afterwards. And if their objective is to do well and finish in a podium, they really need to get it done against one of these two big sides who ultimately are contenders, but not, not, not favorites, I would say. Maybe Colombia's not the favorite, but mm. Brazil is probably the favorite, is one of the, sec I'd say, second favorite right behind Argentina. Mm -hmm. But to go and contend for that Copa America, for them, it's an obligation. For the United States, their obligation is to go into the semifinals. Absolutely. I, yeah, I think uh, I think hosting the tournament, home soil, home crowds, all that stuff. I think even if they get a Brazil uh, in that uh, in that, you know, that semi or that quarterfinal, I, I think th they're going to want a result. Um, are they going to be capable of getting results? I don't know. We'll have to see. I mean, you know, right now there are going to be a few prep matches going into this tournament before uh, before they continue with World Cup qualifying. Uh, well, actually not World Cup qualifying because they're qualified for 2026. But, you know, th this is really the biggest 
competition and the biggest challenge that this U.S. men's national team will face between now and hosting the 2026 World Cup. Uh, and this was a tournament, at least, you know, on paper, they had to qualify for, right? They had to go and play a home-on-home with Trinidad and Tobago to be able to get into this, or else they would have had to have played that qualifying uh, match against Canada to get into it. So, uh, you know, you wonder how battle-tested this U.S. men's national team is going to be going into the Copa America, strictly because uh, the rest of the teams coming out of South America will have played World Cup qualifiers leading into this tournament, if you think about it. So those teams are all going to have... Uh, points on the line and they're going to have results that need to be obtained prior to setting foot on American soil to play this tournament. Uh, so that is, that is a challenge is to get the, get the American team, the, the, the tests that it needs going into this tournament to see how they compete here, because this is really, um, if you want to call it a dress rehearsal for the next world cup, go ahead and call it that. Um, but it's a pretty major tournament. Uh, this is not your, your gold cup, right? So this is, I, I agree with you. I think the, the key is not going to be to get out of this group. I think they should, and I think they will get out of this group. You and I both have them going in second place. Uh, second place means, you know, by our predictions that Brazil's waiting on the other side. And that is going to be the challenge. Um, I'm interested in your group B because it sounds like, you know, let, let's let, let's call it what it is. Let's call Group B the group of death, right? Because yeah, yeah, I agree. Because people were saying Group B was the group of death, and as much as I like this Paraguay side, I, I just I, I don't see it being that top heavy personally. Yeah, they're just not because scoring I, goals. You yeah. know, Paraguay's just not scoring goals. We've seen that in, in qualifying. Um, you know, in Costa Rica and Honduras, I, I honestly I'm pretty disappointed because Honduras came within a whisker of of throwing Mexico into that qualifying match, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we saw that and, you know, Andre Yanez is a good friend of ours. Um, I was really rooting for, her, uh, and I was really rooting for her on Honduras on that one. But, um, yeah, I, I feel like, see, and I think you have a lot more hope in this Mexican side than I do. Mm-hmm. Um, strictly for me, looking at the way they've been playing, this Mexican side has been playing over the past six months. I mean, they have, they have a bunch of talent, but it feels like even when Tata was there, uh, they just can't seem to get focused and moving in the right direction for me. Um, you know, in that, in that, in that direction where you fear Mexico, right? Where we're looking at Mexico and we're going, yeah, that's the best team on the continent. We're not saying that. We're really not saying we're not even sure that the second best team on the continent because Canada is there. No, I, I, I still think so personally. I, I mean, I, I, but I think I think on any given day, Canada gives them a big challenge, and Just, vice versa for Mexico and Canada. Of, of so. course, of course, of course. But I don't know. I don't know that it's that clear cut. I think I think it's mm-hmm. clear cut that the U.S. right now is the best team on the continent. Um, but I, I, you know, Canada and Mexico are very, very close seconds to me. Um, and that is not where Mexico is used to being, right? Mexico's used to being number one on this continent. Mexico's, you know, you would expect in a normal Mexican team and a normal Mexican cycle that you'd be looking at this team in this group and going, yeah, that team could finish first. Of course they can. <laughs> they could beat Ecuador. They could be Venezuela. Why not? Um, and, and I, I don't know. I just, for me, I, I feel like they are not as clean cut as they have been in previous years. And that's, that's my fear for them is that they, they just don't get it together um, because the Federation and the team are in such disarray for me. Um, you know, and I think, I, I think you and I are both, um, especially given your predictions, I think you and I are both impressed with what Venezuela has done um, in this uh, Copa America, I'm sorry, this World Cup qualifying cycle so far. Um, they're an interesting team. They are a talented team. They're a young team. And, um, and we've, we're, we're similarly, I think, impressed by Ecuador. Uh, they didn't have the greatest showing at the World Cup in, in Qatar, but uh, but they did qualify there for the first time, I think, in um, in years. And, yep. and, and these are going to be two teams that are going to be well-rounded and battle-tested, um, especially with this Venezuela side doing so well in the in qualifying. What are your thoughts on those two teams? Yeah, and, and let's not forget about Jamaica, too. They also mm. have some really talented players. Obviously, Leon Bailey at Aston Villa is playing very well right now for a Villa side that's, doing, uh, that's contending for the, um, the Premier League. You know, you have a lot of players really mixed around England and some in the United States as well. So this isn't to say that... Uh, it's going to be as straightforward as it is because I don't think it will be. I think it's going to go right to the last day. And I think, boy, 
the last two games really set it up because you have Mexico and Ecuador and Jamaica and Venezuela to close it out on the last day. And that, that could go either way. And I, I potentially see a situation, Joe, where all four teams still have a chance to qualify. That That's how, that's how close this group will get. And yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I really admire the way Venezuela have been playing so far. It's been good, and I would love to see them qualify for their first World Cup. And man, what, how special would it be for them to qualify for their first ever World Cup playing in North America, or at least in the United States, where you know it's going to be a ton of Venezuelans who live here. And mm-hmm. for Ecuador, yeah, this is uh, it's an interesting case. They, they've done so well in qualifying. I mean, they've only lost one game, but you worry about the way that their style is, and you know they've already played Venezuela as well. They got a nil-nil draw in that um that game and then again jamaica is the wild card man like you never know what could happen honestly i I compare it to (laughs) i compare it sometimes as well to the um i mean it's not not a big comparison but in terms of like how open it will be is the the euro group between spain croatia italy and albania where i feel like all the teams have a chance essentially group of death in that sense but i think all of them really have a chance to to go and do something so uh, I, I stick with Venezuela just because of the way that they've been playing. I, I don't know how well Ecuador really do in these tournaments. They kind of become hot and cold. And I think ultimately Venezuela can probably beat Ecuador on the first day, which, again, is the first game over there at Levi Stadium. So that can ultimately be the the game that decides who will qualify, not just who will finish first and second, but who will qualify. Mm-hmm. And then the final game between Mexico and Ecuador. So essentially it's all for Ecuador's to lose, but... Yeah, we'll see what happens in seven months' time. But I think if the tournament were to start tomorrow, I think, yeah, those are my those are my teams to qualify to the knockout stage. Before we use that segue to go to the Euros, um, uh, early favorite for winning this? Is uh, Argentina the, the, the early favorite to repeat? Yeah, I think so. I think with the group that they have with Peru, Chile, and Canada, and even looking at ooh, like really the format itself, because they they avoid Uruguay and Brazil, you know? The, to the, the final. They, they, until the final, correct. Mm. And so that means... If the predictions go the way that they would, then they would play either uh, Mexico or you know or Venezuela. In this case, it would probably be uh, Venezuela. So then you have that, and then you have the other group, the other game of Mexico. Uh, in this case, Chile. I think Argentina could beat Mexico on the yeah. day, and then yeah, the final could be either of Brazil or Uruguay. Which again, those are two teams that are ultimately. I mean, that, that could be your semifinal right there, man. You have Brazil, Uruguay. And, you know, I, I wouldn't want that as an American personally, but yeah, I mean, it's it's really going into that. But especially with the news of, of Scaloni possibly staying as well until the Scope America or mm. even further, that could really boost team morale as well. And, you know, I, yeah, I mean, it, it would be very hard-pressed for me to not choose Argentina as the favorites to to win this tournament. And, and you know, Joe, it's, it's kind of reminiscent of like, you know, how old gold cups used to be Brazil being the favorites uh, to win the Copa America, the same thing for Mexico. It's kind of really changed the tide with Argentina and the U S being kind of those favorites now. But yeah, I think right now, if I had to choose a champion um, and predicting it, I'm going for the, um, I'm going for Argentina to, uh, to repeat as champions. Argentina, Mexico would be in New York on July 9th. And in the semifinal, if that would be the case. So crazy, crazy match. Um, I agree with you uh, on all points. I think uh, they've got a great path. They've got an easy path right to the finals. And I think uh, they can they can definitely get there in Miami on July 14th. So we'll have to see what happens. Uh, But we'll make predictions as we get much closer to that tournament. Let's look over at the other tournament. Uh, and, and this tournament obviously is, is bigger in terms of the field um, and uh, and certainly some tasty matchups here. So we're talking about Euro 2024. Um, I can go through the groups really quick. Uh, in Group A, Germany the host, Scotland, Hungary, and Switzerland. Group B, which we're calling you and I the group of death, Spain, Croatia, Italy, and Albania. Group C, Slovenia, Denmark, Serbia, and England. Uh, group D is a playoff winner, um, and I forget who is the playoff winner in that bunch, but um, the playoff winner of, of A, the Netherlands, Austria, and France. Uh, group E, Belgium, Slovakia, Romania, and the winner of playoff B. Uh, group F, Turkey, the winner of playoff C, Portugal, and the Czech Republic. That that tournament will kick off almost the exact same time as the uh, as the Copa America, just a few days before on June 14th in Allianz Arena in Bayern, you know, Bayern Munich's home stadium, where Germany will open against Scotland. Um, obviously, you know, some certainly tasty matchups here. Um, none other than let's, I guess let's just touch up base, uh, quickly on the group of death, Spain, Croatia, Italy, Albania. Uh, I mean, I see Spain and 
Italy moving through here. Uh, Croatia is going to be a tough challenge for all sides, as well as Albania. I think I think a lot of people are sleeping on Albania, um, given the way they qualified in this tournament. Um, actually, let me uh, if I go to my predictions quickly. Uh, and then I'll have you give yours. I predicted uh, Group A, Germany and Switzerland coming out. Group B, Spain winning, Italy second. Group C, England and Serbia. Uh, I think Serbia will finish over Denmark in this one uh, moving forward. Group D, France and the Netherlands. Um, and Poland is in that group, uh, in that playoff there. Uh, and I think the Polish team could give uh, some challenges there. Belgium, Ukraine in Group E, uh, and then um, and then I also said that Slovakia would be that second place team if Ukraine don't qualify, and uh, Group F, Portugal and Turkey, uh, and I think uh, Turkey barely over Czechia. What uh, what were your predictions for these uh, these these groups? Yeah, and I think it's going to be also very interesting groups to to really look at. And my predictions were as followed: I got Germany, Switzerland. Hungary and Scotland in Group B. I got Spain, Italy, Croatia, Albania in Group C. I got England, Serbia, Denmark, Slovenia in Group D. I got France, Netherlands, Poland qualifying out of that playoff spot, and Austria in Group E. Ukraine would be qualifying to that spot. So uh, for the playoff spots, it would be Belgium, Ukraine, Romania, and Slovakia. And then Group F, I think I had Greece qualifying. So it was Portugal, mm-hmm. Turkey, Czechia, and Greece. And yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be. Very interesting to to see what happens and and really go into that kind of atmosphere. And, you know, again, I think the group of death really shapes itself well. You don't really sleep on teams like um, uh, Albania and whatnot. And and even looking at some of the other groups, I think a really interesting one would be the the group E one, because that's a really open group. For, for Belgium and yeah I mean I, I think they'll have enough to do it but you never know what could happen the Portugal Turkey one is you know as we talk with Emily in the bits you never know what can Turkey can prove and yeah I mean the, I think the France oh, Netherlands one's a really tasty one England with another I wouldn't say everyone's saying an easy draw for England but I don't know I'm not I'm not too sure about that because yeah. Serbia have some good players and and Denmark have it as well I mean yeah I think they'll have enough to qualify and, and ultimately even win the group but it won't be that easy yeah, I, I mean, I don't think this is a cakewalk for England, but I do think it's going to be, um, I think, of the favorites to win this tournament. When we talk about the favorites, we talk about Spain, we talk about England, we talk about France. Uh, you know, you could probably throw Germany in there as well, although um, they're in a little bit of a disarray. Um, when we talk about those teams, you know, England probably has, I would say, the easiest path at the moment. Um, of those of those bigger favorites, um, I think Spain has the toughest path, but but certainly not going to be a pushover group. But I think England do come out of this, you know, pretty well, pretty well rested. And then I believe they will get uh, as a winner of group. Uh, that's Group D, if I remember correctly. They're going to mm-hmm. get the the run. Um, I'm just looking through it here. They're going to get the runner up of Group F. So that would be by our predictions is probably going to be Turkey. So an England Turkey matchup um, certainly would be a tasty, uh, you know, battle there. And that would be something that would be uh, played in Leipzig on July 2nd. So um, their path looks like it's pretty interesting. It's again, where do the third place teams fall in uh, here? Who qualifies in third place? Those are really difficult questions. I think predicting the Copa America is just much more straightforward, if you know what I mean, because you don't have to worry about those third place sides and who did better in their group and who did worse and goals and and so on. Uh, So I think it's tougher to pick the path of some of these uh, particular teams moving forward through the knockout stages. But I think it's also interesting, Roberto, that you and I, for the most part, have the same top two finishers in each group. Uh, you know, there's there's really not much variation between you and I and all. I think if anything, there might be variation in the third place teams, but um, the tournament kind of cuts itself. You know, it's pretty cut and dry. Uh, I, I think we could all be proven wrong in Group B. I think we could, you know, that that is something you know that could happen. I think we could also all be proven wrong in uh, in Group F, uh, d- depending what happens, who qualifies. You know, we think it's Greece that's going to qualify out of groups out of the uh, playoff C. Um, what does the Czech Republic give you? Turkey, you know, we're always very high on them, and all of a sudden they lay a stinker every time. So um, does that happen again? Do they finally get their act straight and get moving forward? We'll have to see. Um, I want to ask you one more question, uh, your opinion. Uh, group E, I want to look at Belgium real quick because I know we both have them finishing first. I think this group is is 
pretty manageable for uh, a Belgian side. I think we have Belgium and we think Ukraine is going to win that uh, that other playoff. And let's say they do the, the group B playoff. Um, are we too high on Belgium given that, you know, De Bruyne's out for a long, long time. Lukaku's starting to get his scoring legs again, but in terms of country, but is it enough? Do they really have enough? The hazards are gone. Um, you know, Thibaut Courtois is going to be coming off of an injury. I don't even know if he'll be ready for the uh, the tournament. Do, does Belgium have enough to be able to survive this group? Well, I'll, I'll correct you right now. De Bruyne's not out for a long time. Oh, I thought I thought he had a, a a muscle injury that he was out for a little. He's been out for a little while for Man City. He's been out for a while, but he'll he'll be back. He'll be back in time. And again, you okay. never know what could happen with other injuries as well. But sure. even you put in there, um, no, I mean, I mean, they have to do something, do they? Yeah, <laughs> they have to have some golden generation go to at least. Uh, I don't think they've ever been to a. Well, they've been to one semifinal, but that was the World Cup, and they finished third. But mm-hmm. that's it. Yeah. And and this is, I mean, and we talked about the talent that Belgium's had in this, in really this golden age. It, it, it's a golden age for them. Let's let's be honest. But I, I'm wondering if the the sun has set on that golden age, um, and we're still kind of high on them. And they're talented. Listen, I mean, I'm not poo pooing them at all, right? I mean, they're very very talented. I'm just wondering if if we're holding, if if we're looking at the historic Belgium over the past five six years. And relaying that talent to today, where they're just not as talented. Yeah, I mean, they have to really demonstrate it now. And if it's not now, it probably won't be for a while, especially mm-hmm. with this generation. But yeah, I mean, they have to do something. Yeah. <laughs> they have to do something. It's it's been kind of disappointing for them. We'll have to see. We'll have to see what kind what they turn out. Um, for you, early favorite to win. I know I asked that for uh, for the Copa America. Early favorite to win this tournament here. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I saw something that England was a favorite. I, I mean, look, they, they also have to win something, too, with their generation. Um, but I'm still going to go with France on this one. Yeah, I'm with you. I think, I, I think France, ultimately, they, they're still talented, and they still have the Champs, and, and, you know, they still have a team that, you know, I mean, they, they literally just went to two straight World Cups. I mean, yeah, they lost the last one, but still, I mean, come on, that's not, that's not an easy feat to go uh, and, yeah. and go to two finals in a row but yeah i mean personally I, I, i'd say france and i think the big question as well is what's going to happen to germany because usually germany would become one of the favorites in these type of tournaments especially on home soil but you don't know what to expect from them these days exactly you don't know what to expect from them these days and that's i think i think part of the the interesting part if if I mean, I, I think we all suspect that Germany win that group, should win that group, right? Um, that would put them up uh, against the runners-up of Group C, which would be, um, which would be by our predictions, uh, either Denmark, Slovenia, Serbia. Um, I forget. We, I'm going to go back and look really quick. Uh, Serbia for me, Serbia for you as well. So that would be a, a Germany-Serbia matchup. In that uh, in that first knockout stage, so we'll have to see. Um, I think we'll make obviously like with the Copa America, we'll make we'll probably do whole shows on the Euro and a whole show on the Copa America leading into the tournaments in the summer, um, where we'll make our predictions. But uh, certainly, two great tournaments coming up this summer, summer of twenty twenty four, big tournaments leading into a, a an expanded World Cup in twenty twenty six. Uh, and going to be interesting to uh, to watch and, and witness. So let's table that discussion uh, on both tournaments for now, and let's get uh, Emily Wilson in here. Emily is from One Football. She's joined us a little earlier on. We we did ask her question about uh, her Euro um, predictions, and we did discuss the Champions League as well as Christine Sinclair and, and her um, amazing run and amazing career for the Canadian national team. So without further ado, the Emily Wilson interview and joining us now on low limit football from one football, Emily Wilson, Emily, welcome back to the show. It's a pleasure to have you on. Uh, I just want to jump into uh, getting your reaction. Roberto and I were just discussing the Euro draws from earlier this week. Uh, we've seen some, some great groups, uh, you know, talked about the group of death and everything else. What is your reaction to the draw and uh, the, the matchups that we've got uh, for this tournament? Well, hello, everyone. It's great to be back. It's been a while. Um, yeah, the draw, you know, I think, I don't really think there is a group of death, if I'm being completely honest. I think this draw is incredibly spaced out and really balanced. You know, group B can maybe be the group of death, but I'm 
not too convinced that anybody is really going to pull off anything substantial that might turn it upside down, if, if you know what I'm saying. I think it might be fairly predictable. Um, the opener, Germany-Scotland, I think is going to be a great one to kick off the tournament. But across the board, I think it kind of sets up the tournament to be entertaining throughout every group. We'll see what happens with the playoffs. I'm Portuguese. I'm happy that uh, Portugal was drawn into a decent <laughs> group of, of, what are they, Group E? Oh, no, Group F there. So I'm not, I'm not entirely sure, but I'll, I'll take the opposite approach. I don't really think there is a true group of death. I think it's incredibly balanced. Yeah, and, and going into this as well, Joe, I mean, you know, we, we didn't speak about it as of yet, but you as an Italian, you were telling me even the day of the draw, it was going to be a, a difficult one. And it is. I, I personally think it is the one with Spain, Croatia, and Albania. You know, obviously Spain are a side that are kind of improving in a way. Uh, they just won the Nations League. Croatia are still super talented with the team that they still have. And Albania is kind of the wild card. You know, the team of Silvino, they're coming back to another Euros. They've kind of had a decent qualifying process. But, you know, that's the thing with Italy as well and, and kind of this old pessimistic kind of mentality in a way is that can they achieve what they achieved four years ago? Not four years ago. It's, well, it's going to be three, four years ago. Uh, um, and uh, And just go with that. Or is it still something that, you know, is people have to feel a bit cautious about. Yeah, I, I mean, in terms of Italy, definitely need to be cautious. Uh, this, for me, this is a group of death. When you take the defending champion um, and a top ten team in the world, and you put them in pot four, you you're bottom loading the draw, and uh, and when you do that, you're going to have a group with very very strong teams. Uh, obviously, Croatia. We know what they've done. Over the past uh, seven, eight years now, uh, Spain is Spain, of course, and and obviously the Gavi injury is going to, I don't want to say be devastating, but it's going to be significant. And Albania is going to be one of those dark horse teams that uh, you, you don't know what you're going to get out of them. They are very talented. They, you know, they 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 had a great qualifying run uh, to get into this tournament. So it's it's going to be it's going to be a tough challenge. Um, for Italy to defend their title. Um, but they'll any of the teams that come out of this group will be battle-tested for sure. 100%. And now moving forward to obviously a competition that's well in in uh, in action. It's the UEFA Champions League. Obviously, we're heading into the final week of the group stages um, you know, this week. And I think, Emily, this is going to be something that, you know, for a lot of teams, there's a lot to go on to. You know, there's obviously Manchester United looking to hopefully qualify to some European competition be it the Champions League or the Europa League, but they have a tough test against a tough Bayern Munich. You still have the likes of that really, I'd say, the group of death in PSG, Newcastle, Milan, trying to join Borussia Dortmund in Group F. I mean, there's there's a lot really to go into. So I just want your thoughts on, you know, what kind of storylines you're in particular going to be focused on and ultimately how do you see uh, many of these groups that are still decided, like the United group, like the one with... Um, PSG, Milan, and, and um, Newcastle going. You know, how do you how do you assess both of them? Well, I think the big talking point is obviously going to be Man United, bottom of the group with only four points. That's nowhere near the standard that they usually hit. So, obviously, a lot of people are going to see if they can rise to the challenge. And you know what? I'm I I think they might. I think they might just, just by the skin of their teeth, pull it off. Um, that's not to say, like you said, Roberto, their last Bayern. That's not to say Bayern just won't be looking to condemn Man United. But for some reason, I don't know. I feel like it's just the narrative that somehow, even against all the cards, they're going to pull it off with Ten Hag. More so for the group of death, though, I don't. I don't know what's going to happen to this one. I don't think enough people gave um, Borussia Dortmund enough credit when they were drawn into this group. You know, a lot of the talk was about PSG, it was about Milan, and then obviously Newcastle. And from at least my side of things, when I was scrolling through the reactions, a lot of people just let Dortmund slide. But, you know, they've come out and topped the group. That's a shock to me, I have to be honest. I did not expect that. And now that leaves some of the big guns fighting for the final spot. I think it's probably going to be PSG. I feel like when they approach this sixth and final group stage game, you know, there's, they're just going to say, okay, enough is enough. 
and kind of time to get their act together. But it's the beauty of Champions League football. So I would welcome my predictions to be incorrect. Yeah, no, and I think it's going to be very interesting, Joe. And I wanted to put the pressure on you as well because let's let's go into Group A. You got that Man United group with uh, Bayern Munich and Copenhagen. Of course, they have to beat Bayern at home and hope that Copenhagen and Galatasaray ended a draw to, to qualify. Do you see any of this happening or do you think that United's European dream and, hey, ultimately, I think for someone like Eric Ten Hag, his, his time as Man United boss comes to an end after this. I'll be honest with you. I, I feel like this is going to be decided out of Eric Ten Hag and Manchester United's hands. Um, I feel like Galatasaray are going to win. Uh, I think they'll beat Copenhagen on the road, which is going to be difficult for them, but I do think that that is going to happen, which will end any speculation of United uh, getting there. Now, the question becomes, can United qualify for Europa League? Um, And I guess that's going to really depend on which Bayern Munich shows up. Uh, You know, does Bayern go in in full throttle? This is a Bayern side that you've got to remember hasn't lost in qualifying in, in I think it's eight years or something like that in these group stages. Uh, they've already got one draw um, so far on this uh, this Champions League season. I, I feel like Bayern, as, as crazy as this sounds, they might have a point to prove where they're going to want to send a message. I mean, you saw Arsenal send a message uh, on match day five with a 6-0 victory over Lons that – you know, we're here and we're going to challenge for this title. You've seen Real Madrid go perfect through this competition. We're here. We're going to challenge for this title. Manchester City doing Manchester City things in this tournament as well. Undefeated, only conceded five goals. We're here. We're going to challenge for this title. I feel like Bayern haven't made that statement yet. And this would be the spot where not only Bayern makes a statement and says, hey, we're here, we're going to challenge for this title, but they do it by bouncing one of the biggest clubs in Europe um, out of Europe completely. So I feel like Galatasaray going to win against Copenhagen and uh, and qualify in the second spot. And, and I, I honestly think Bayern Munich want this, this match. I, I don't think they want to just kind of coast through and, and just softly. And you've got to also remember... Bayern Munich are going to go into a winter break, right? The German league goes into that January break. They're going to get the rest. This is not a situation where, um, you know, they're worried about resting up players and they can kind of lay off on this match because they're going to have X amount of matches coming up. They're going to be able to rest these players. And I really feel like they're going to go for this one. Uh, and, and I think United will probably be out of Europe and then we have to ask the question about what's going to happen to Ten Hag uh, in a post-mortem with a January window opening. Yeah, and Emily, I guess I'll pose that question to you. I mean, if if United are not in any single European competition come the end of Wednesday, is, is Ten Hag essentially done considering what he's been doing in the, in, in the Premier League as well? And yeah, how it's just not convincing possibly the new owners that could come through uh, in the next few weeks. I think... Will he be sacked this season? No. <laughs> um, I mean, you can look at the Premier League table, but they are sixth. They're only three points off um, the champions from last year. So it's it's a tough, a tough draw in the Premier League this season. But I don't think it would be smart of them to get rid of Ten Hag and, you know, start from scratch in the middle of a wishy-washy season to begin with. That just sounds like a recipe for a disaster. It would be. And obviously now heading into the group of dead show, and I've put you on the spot as well. I say it's going to be Newcastle because I think they're going to beat Milan, which, you know, is unfortunate because I think I really like this Milan side. And, you know, it was sad to see them not perform to the extent that they would in this group. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't see Dortmund losing. I really don't. So that would mean PSG going out, which would be a huge deal for for the team, for Luis Enrique, for the owners, for Kylian Mbappe as well. I mean, do you agree with me, or do you feel a bit different in that PSG could indeed get something done over there at the uh, Westphalian Stallion uh, I, this week? I think PSG can go to Dortmund and get something, some type of result, uh, whether it be a, a 2-2 draw. I, I think there will be some excitement in this match. I don't think this will be a, one of those sleepy matches. Um, you know, it, it's, it's tough to say. PSG... Um, have to leave it so late on match day five uh, with the uh, with the penalty for Kylian Mbappe at the end there against Newcastle uh, to to get that to salvage that one point um, and put themselves in this position where they're really in the driver's seat. I I, I feel like they can still get another point. The question is going to be: Can Newcastle um, get a full three points out of AC Milan uh, 
um, and, and, and move forward. You know, an AC Milan that, you know, really started started well defensively in this. If you remember, first two uh, matches were nil-nil draws. And, and granted, they did very well defensively, but they couldn't score a goal either. Um, you know, as as Americans, um, uh, we're going to have a spot for AC Milan in our hearts with uh, Christian Pulisic and Yunus Musa um, really featuring for AC Milan over the past few weeks. The question is going to be, is Rafael Leao going to be ready, um, which I'm not sure he is. There are many, many injuries on the Milan side, but there are just as many injuries on the Newcastle side. And can one of those teams get a result to leapfrog PSG if PSG do stumble? I think that's going to be the big question. Um, this one for me, this, you know, other than Dortmund is qualifying, um, and heading through, which we, we all know is, is a fact now. I think it's really, really, I don't want to say it's impossible to call this group, but I want to say it is very, very difficult. And if I had to pick right now, I would probably say PSG move through in second place. With the uh, with the benefit of a draw in Germany, but again, uh, you know, all bets are off for me on this one. I, I would not put any money on any of these matches um, because they're just. I think they're just too difficult to call. They they really are, and of course, it's going to have to depend a lot on that Newcastle Milan game to see what happens there. Ultimately, a draw would have to be also the result in order for them to qualify because obviously the head to head between Newcastle and PSG would put Newcastle ahead. So we'll have to wait and see. It's going to be really a fascinating week. Emily, I wanted to close out on my end before I send off Joe. Um, obviously, what we saw this week, and, and going straight, obviously, to, to your country in Canada, we saw the last game of Christine Sinclair for the Canadian national team. You know, after 23 years of service for them, 331 games, 190 goals, the most all-time for men's or women's uh, in, in international soccer. I mean, talk about a legend of the game and, and really someone who had really put Canada on the map in terms of soccer and popularity, obviously. Um, she was never able to win the big one. It's, just, it's basically the World Cup, but she did win Olympic gold at the last Olympics in Tokyo. I mean, obviously, the career says it all for her. I mean, just your thoughts on the career of, of Christine Sinclair at, at 40 years old and, and really just kind of how important she was to even you, not just as a journalist or working in this industry, but also as a fan of soccer. Yeah, um, I actually had the privilege of attending the final game in Vancouver. I flew out um, a couple days ago and I just got back recently. And that atmosphere was something I've never seen before. You had about 50,000, I think is what it came to. Um, Canadians just in support of, you know, I used, I don't like to use this term, but I'll use it in this case of, of the GOAT, the Canadian GOAT. I don't think... Christine Sinclair's career gets enough credit across the world stage. You know, Megan Rapino, a couple of years ago, I think reacted to a Fox um, tweet and it was asking, who do you think deserves a Ballon d'Or? And, you know, one of Sinclair's top, I'm using air quotes here, rivals, uh, just because of USA Canada, put her on the map. And, you know, I think Sinclair, just given the way that women's football is starting to really gain traction now, in the past wasn't given the appreciation that she deserves. But let me tell you that crowd inside BC place was the complete opposite. It was just pure love and affection. And, you know, to see Sinclair also soak it all up for the last time, it was, it was definitely emotional. And I think she's done incredible things on the pitch. You know, you can go on and on and on about her international goal scoring career and the record that she has across men and women's football but she's also done so much for Canadians just being a Canadian. You know, a lot of people look up to her. A lot of people are interested in soccer because of her, myself included. She was one of the inspirations for me to even get into the career that I have. I've actually never played soccer in my life, but I remember watching Christine Sinclair in Canada at the 2012 Olympics, the 2016 Olympics. And I thought, okay, this, this is something to be a fan of this is something to support and you know look at what we have today and unfortunately for us Canadians it was an, inev an inevitable reality that uh, we were hoping didn't have to come necessarily but you know at the end of the day everybody hangs up their boots and I think the biggest word to sum it up is just appreciation everyone had appreciation for what she's done for Canadians what she's done for the game what she's done globally and you know, with or without a World Cup, she has the gold medal. And it's been a privilege just to be able to watch her career in person. 
to call her a legend of the game is it almost it feels like it's not uh, big enough. Um, and, and and obviously closing out her career with an Olympic gold medal is certainly something to be very, very proud of, um, especially when you've got, you know, there, there are such giants in world football, especially women's football. You know, we, we talk about, um, you know, the Japanese national team, you know, Norway. We talk about Sweden. We talk about Germany. We talk about the U.S., of course. Um, and, and, you know, Christine Sinclair really put uh, Canada on the map and, and put Canada up there with those names as well. So uh, certainly a legendary career um, and, uh, and and a great one that uh, we were all able to watch. So I want to take it back, Emily, really quick to uh, the Champions League. I do have a couple more questions for you. The first one, I want to go back and revisit the Man United part with uh, Ten Hag. Um, you know, obviously we're speculating uh, based off of the, you know, the results coming up this week, whether Ten Hag stays or goes. Um, and, and the consensus I feel from you is that he, you feel like he's going to stay, that their menu is not going to get rid of him, at least not in the winter window. So my question to you is, is if Man United are out of European competition in this, um, after this Champions League run, um, with the January window opening, what do you speculate? Are, are there any specific, um, moves that you think Man United might make? Um, and will Ten Hag influence those moves or will this be more of a, a front office type thing? Oh, that's a good one. Um, I'm not entirely sure that there's any player that might be able to come in and quote fix what's been on the pitch at Man United. Um, I think individually, you know, they, ha- they have good players. They have players that should be performing, should be producing. And they are the odd time. It just, something's not meshing. So maybe it's a front office um, fix that has to come in. I just, like, like I said, I don't think Ten Hag will be cut in the winter because that's just going to create more problems for them, I believe. And then you have the question, obviously, who comes in after the fact. And I think that's probably the bigger question mark. Who's going to be able to come in and, you know, take on, the grunt work and fix it, so to speak. But yeah, I'm not entirely sure if they'll make a lot of moves in the market. I think injuries are huge for them. We'll have to see, you know, a player that I've always appreciated is Marcus Rashford. You have to question what's going on with his career there. Um, Even Erickson being out long-term, that's also a massive, massive loss for them. Do they necessarily need a squad boost? I'm going to go no, at least for winter. It's just how how do you find the right formula? And unfortunately, I don't have the answer for Ten Hag, so he might uh, have to ask some other people front office wise. <laughs> it's true. Uh, last question, uh, and I want to go all the way down for the last question to the last group in uh, the Champions League and ask you a Portuguese question, really, because it comes down to one one match: Porto, Shakhtar. Both teams on nine points. Both teams behind Barcelona. Uh, Barcelona have already qualified in Group H. Uh, one match for all the marbles, uh, you know, and this match, if I remember, is going to be in Portugal. Uh, yep, this coming up this week. Who wins? Who gets in? And who goes to the uh, who goes to the Europa League? Oh, that's a tough one too. I, yeah, they are playing in Portugal. Porto, you know, they're sitting fourth in uh, Liga, and I don't. I think the home support is going to be key here, but I don't think, actually, I don't think I know Shakhtar are not pushovers. So they're going to end that stadium going full throttle. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if this ends in a draw. I don't think there's going to be an outright winner. So looking at the standings, that would put, I believe, Porto through. I believe they're second right now. That's correct. Uh, Porto are second. They're they're tied on yeah. points, but Porto yeah. won the uh, the first leg. Uh, I believe it was three one. Looking at my notes here, three uh, one. Yes, and uh, they also have the goal differential uh, and total goals. So yeah, a, a draw would put Porto through in second place in Shakhtar to the Europa League. So Emily, I want to thank you for coming on the show and joining us today. Um, great, uh, it was great fun and great pleasure, and uh, all the best to you. And we look forward to having you again soon. Brilliant. Thanks, guys. Take care. 
And special thanks again to Emily for joining us on the show. Roberto, uh, since we are going on an extended hiatus here for uh, our our winter break here, we're going to give you just a couple of matches of the week. Obviously, this afternoon you've got, uh, at the time of this recording this afternoon, you have MLS Cup Final between LAFC and Columbus. I believe that is a 4 uh, a 4 p.m. Eastern kickoff uh, on Saturday. But on Tuesday, as we discussed in our champion, we're going to give you a Champions League field this week. Tuesday, we have Copenhagen, Galatasaray, Man United, Bayern Munich to decide Group A. Those matches are at 3 o'clock. And we have Napoli Braga uh, from Group C to decide that second place uh, moving into the knockout stages as well. That will also be at 3 o'clock on Tuesday. And on Wednesday, we have Dortmund PSG, Newcastle Milan. Those are Group F at uh, at 3 p.m. And to close that out, Porto and Shakhtar Donetsk, uh, as we discussed earlier in Group H, that will also be a 3 p.m. kickoff. Roberto, you gave me a, a great trivia question about the Copa America. If you'd like to just repeat it for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. So in the 100-plus year history of this competition, we've seen a lot of champions and also some runners-up as well. But how many different teams have won the competition and also have been runners-up? So basically give me all the numbers of champions and the runners up as well. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to give you a number and then you can give me a higher or lower and I'll give you a second number. Okay. And then I'll tell you the names of the teams I've written down or the names of the countries. Yep. I'm going to go with seven. Higher. Nine. It is nine. Wow. Okay. I'm missing two countries then. I have Chile. Yep. Brazil. Yep. Argentina. Yep. Uruguay. Yep. Paraguay. Yep. Peru? Yep. Mexico? Yes, the only team to go to the yeah. finals and never win it. I did not want to put... Oh, so, oh, so these are winners, too. Uh, yeah, only two. Yep, you're missing two winners. Am I Am I really missing um, Ecuador? No. I was going to say, and not Venezuela, either. No. Nope. Colombia? Yep. Jesus. Um, <sighs> One more. Has Bolivia won it? 1963. Okay. So there you go. I, I actually didn't write down Colombia. Stupid me. That one is a big miss for me. But uh, I had a feeling yeah, Mexico was one of the answers. Yeah, Mexico are the uh, out of all the countries. So Argentina, Uruguay, Brazil, Paraguay, Chile, Peru, Bolivia, and Colombia have all won the competition. They've also been finalists as well, actually. So right. it's not just them winning it and that's it. They've also been to the finals and, lo- and lost it as well. And Mexico are the only team to go to two straight to go to two Copa America finals. They didn't win any of them. Never so it, those so. are your. Copa America champions and finals. And hopefully the U.S. will add that their names to that list uh, this coming summer. So, Well, depending if it's going to be a title or a runner's up. <laughs> so without anything left on the list for 2023, my friend, here is the closing music. Let's do it. Right, here we go. So for episode 409 of Low Limit Football, special thanks again to Emily Wilson for joining us on the show. Again, we will be returning from our winter hiatus on the weekend of January 6th or January 7th. Um, so for everyone out there, enjoy the football over the winter holiday, the Christmas holiday, and the New Year holiday, and uh, we will see you in 2024. So Merry Christmas from me, and Happy New Year, Roberto, uh, to you and the family as well. And uh, for episode... 409. I am Joe Ucello. Roberto, anything to say before we close? No, uh, thank you so much. Happy New Year. Merry Christmas to everyone, and we'll see you in 2024. Thanks for listening, everyone, and good night.